0: Welcome back to Conduct Detrimental, episode number 58, the Carl Banks episode. Number 58, the greatest uh, New York Giant, outs- right outside linebacker of them all. He should be in the Hall of Fame, but in any event, We acknowledge his greatness on this broadcast. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Dan Lost. And of course, I'm Daniel Wallach. Dan, how are you today?
1: I'm good. And if uh, anyone either forgets my name or your name, uh, it's pretty easy. Just just say Dan. One of us will respond to it. Um, So uh, Dan, I am am very good. Uh, Again, uh, just I feel like it's every week we have these new and interesting legal issues that pop up sometimes uh, uncharted territory, as we'll get into, and then others, um, stories that just have a, an interesting turn uh, that we might not have seen before. Um, but uh, Dan, I'm, I'm ready to jump right into this. Uh, you ready for the, the rundown?
0: Yeah, what's well, the rundown? I think I, think I have a, a pretty good clue since we talked about it before the show, uh, but let's frame the episode for our viewers. I mean, we've had a, a pretty dynamic past couple of days, so why don't you lead with it?
1: Dan, that was the part where you're supposed to pretend that we didn't talk about this ahead of time and we're, we're all set and stuff, but it's okay. It's okay behind behind the scenes. Okay, so number number one, uh, we had a, a very eventful week last week. It was right after we recorded. Uh, it's the, we'll say, the boycott season across uh, sports. It started in the NBA and made its way uh, around um, you know, a number of different sports. We want to get into the legal ramifications of that, exactly what transpired and maybe what uh, is in store for the future. Uh, number two, the story that Dan and I, uh, we dedicated an Instagram live to, if you missed it. Uh, it's available on my feed. We also have it on our YouTube feed. Um, but that's this Nebraska lawsuit, these players suing the Big Ten. Um, so we're not going to dive into, um, you know, all the issues we address. But the new development, there has been a response filed by the lawyers for the Big Ten. So we want to get into that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a couple more developments in the Big Ten uh, in this past couple of days as well. Uh, and last but not least, a story that, that we've hit a few times Um, But we keep going to that well because they keep leading us there. That's the Washington football team. Uh, Every time we bring them up, Dan, I feel like it's with something negative. But, you know, it's it's ripe ground because uh, if you were a a professional football team, you're one of 32. You're in that spotlight. So uh, we're going to go over the newest development in Washington football team uh, uh, hot water. So that being said, Dan, let us start uh, with what I'm calling boycott season. Started in the NBA um, with the Milwaukee Bucks. They were supposed to play game five. Uh, was it was game five, yeah, game five of the NBA Finals against the Orlando Magic. Um, there were reports earlier in the day that there was potentially some talk of a boycott uh, with different teams, be it the I think it was the Sixers and the Celtics. Um, but the first slate of games that day was going to be game five of the first round of the Magic and the Bucks. So the Magic were on the court, ready to play. No Bucks. Bucks were in the locker room, uh, and uh, the Bucks decided not to come out. Word went to the Magic. Uh, the Magic apparently just said. We're not ready to accept a forfeit. We're not going to do that, but, you know, um, we'll leave it to the powers that be. So uh, that spurned uh, from that decision not to play, call, call it a boycott. I'm not sure if it's a strike yet at that point. Um, but that led to uh, the a statement being released by the uh, you know, commissioner's office in conjunction with the union that they were canceling. That's my dog, Copper. Well, she's, she likes to make a certain cameras. But that led to an appearance uh, from a joint statement from the union and the league. That the rest of the games, the rest of the NBA games, would be postponed until further notice. So those didn't resume uh, again until uh, it was Saturday. Meanwhile, uh, postponements or boycotts, whatever you want to call it, started taking place uh, in the in the Major League Baseball, in the NHL, as well as the WNBA. Um, So, Dan, uh, you know, we we should kind of unpack it. But what were your your overall thoughts as this was unfolding?
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see the reactions and the expedition or lack thereof by the different leagues. You see the NBA uh, taking a leadership role right away because the clear line of authority and respect for Commissioner Adam Silver, who may be you know the most progressive, and who gets a commissioner in the history of professional sports, and he has a great working relationship with the NBPA uh, uh, head Michelle Roberts. So the so the quickness and the on messageness of the NBA is, I think, a reflection of the leadership and the partnership truly a partnership that they have with the players. By contrast, uh, the NHL played their games that night, no statement from the players, nothing, a complete complete radio silence from uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman and the rest of the leadership. And then, of course, a day later, it took a few of the players. Vander uh,
1: Kane in particular. From yeah, the, from Vander the Kane in
0: particular, mm-hmm. and I think uh, one, of, one of the Minnesota Wild players, uh, was it Dumba? Um, I'm not sure I have his name correctly. It took some of the African-American uh, significant players in the, in the NHL to basically rally the cause uh, when Gary Bettman probably should have been front and center on this early on, and it is a disgrace that the National Hockey League – Played, forget playing games, but did not even address the issue. But I give them credit. A day later, uh, they they were able to at least um, move fairly quickly uh, with a similar decision to cancel games. So I think the league does deserve a little bit of credit after initially fumbling the snap.
1: So um, I think the, the – and we'll say any, if there's any com- comparison, it's not really, but um, a couple years back with the Donald Sterling situation with the Los Angeles Clippers – um, at the time, that was the you know the uh, the Lob City uh, Clippers. That was Chris Paul and Blake Griffin um, and DeAndre Jordan. And while um, I remember this well because it was a lot of conversations like Dan, you and I are having. What should the players do? How should they protest this ongoing Donald Sterling thing? Um, so there was talk potentially of them boycotting that game, and they were consistently playing the Golden State Warriors pre pre full out dynasty. And the Warriors said, "Whatever you guys do, we're willing to go along with it." Um, so back then, the Clippers decided we're going to play, but we're going to turn our warm-up jerseys inside out and then like throw them into the middle of the court. Which I, I don't. I mean, listen, I'm I'm all for player empowerment, I'm all for make you know players making demonstrations if that's you know it's their sport, and stuff that that's what they want. I'm not sure if throwing a jersey in this you know warm-up jersey in the middle of the court and then playing says as much as a full uh, boycott or not playing. So um, you know, kind of why we wanted to address this on the legal level first, as Dan kind of notes. How did this issue get solved? Um, It's Adam Silver, a lawyer, and Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Association. Um, She's also a lawyer. Those guys getting together and hammering these issues out. Now, whether you want to call this a boycott um, or a strike, and there's a particular term that applies here, it's called a wildcat strike. That's when players are striking and making a labor demonstration without the consent of the union. Um, And by all indications, that's what occurred here, that um, the Milwaukee Bucks, whoever was organizing it, be it Giannis or whoever was actually doing it behind the scenes, but the full union was not on board, which would uh, classify this technically as a wildcat strike. Still, though, in order to be a strike, just just using common sense, you have to be striking against your employer with some type of you know action. You want something from your employer. Right. Or else you're just striking in general. So initial reports from the Milwaukee Bucks locker room is that they wanted a, to speak to the Milwaukee, you know, the, the Wisconsin legislature and they wanted to make uh, social injustice change. Still, uh, to me, you know, just looking at it, I don't really think you're striking against the NBA at that point. Um, and over the next 24, 48 hours, word came out that once the union all got on the same page, they had this uh, big conference room. I think it was 250 people in the room from uh, Pat Bev, who had his own um, his own little controversy, and LeBron, you um, know, and, and Kawhi a lot, and Chris Paul. All the players were together in the room, and they came up with a kind of coordinated plan. Uh, and, you know, the highlight of that being... They wanted NBA owners to provide their arenas, their empty arenas for polling places for the upcoming election. So that's more of a demand uh, that was made toward the NBA owners. And then again, Dan, just to your point, Adam Silver turned around really quick. We're not necessarily going to know the exact parameters of that deal, but something was hammered out behind the scenes because um, just if you were following the news like you guys, you know, you know, Dan and I do every every notification I get on my phone. Uh, LeBron uh, and Kawhi, you know, you know, not necessarily them, but we the Lakers and the Clippers and these informal polls were choosing not to play when the rest of the teams in the bubble were going to move ahead. So um, you don't go from that. Uh, and also, LeBron dropped an F bomb. He said, uh, F this, you know, and he was pissed about something. You don't go from we're not playing to back on the court on Saturday without some giant concession. So I don't think we've seen the end of this story. I think there is uh, some big concession that was made on the NBA's part. What do you think?
0: But, you know, in in the end, I think we've come a long way. I mean, consider where uh, things stood three, four years ago when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Uh, It it cost him his job, his livelihood. Uh, NFL owners were, uh, you know, against any notion of disrespecting or kneeling during the national anthem. And here we are four years later uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the recent uh, police-involved shootings of minorities under very... Ah, uh, bad circumstances that you have the NFL and Roger Goodell doing an about face, a mea culpa, uh, nearly four years later, and it shows the power, the power behind you know player unity, and more than just one or two players stepping up. It went from Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed uh, to an entire cross-industry movement, and when the vast majority of your employ employee, uh, your employee base, are African Americans you're going to have to listen to them. And during these changing times, uh, it's it's not only tone deaf, but it's disrespectful to your entire workforce and a significant amount of your, your customer base uh, to turn a blind eye to it. So I think we're entering a new time or a new era of player empowerment in, 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 in the civil rights arena. And and especially if President Trump gets reelected, I would expect, and again, I'm not trying to be political here, but I, I would expect that this uh, issue will intensify over the next four years. Does it go away if Joe Biden is elected? No, not necessarily. But I think, I think the the, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. And the issue, and the 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 player empowerment movement uh, is alive and well. And I think we're going to uh, see a lot more of this going forward. And I think you and I talked a little bit about how maybe some of these issues could be collectively bargained for so that instead of having uh, an occasional one-off game cancellation, there could be some, uh, you know, CBA provision that addresses this issue and provides at least a process by which the players and the league uh, can agree on social justice statements and potential, uh, you know, cancellation or postponement of games.
1: So, Dan, I I think... um, You know, I think that puts a good bow on this boycott situation. You know, I think to your point, Dan, this is not uh, in the world that we live in today with player empowerment. I don't think this is the last we're going to see of potential uh, boycotts and strikes as an agent of change. Um, I will say, and I I heard, uh, you know, a big fan of, um, you know, the Ringer podcast. Bill Simmons had a really good point on his interesting podcast and his last podcast. You know, people like you and I, Dan, we talk a lot about sports and a lot of people in the country right? They turn their minds off and they watch basketball because they really want to watch the games or, you know, baseball or hockey um, and whatnot. But the absence of sports for that particular day, right? And the slate of games for the NHL is the next day. And the you know, the Brewers sitting out in baseball, Mookie Betts taking, you know, him him sitting out of the lineup, that's going to require people to have some of these uncomfortable conversations. So whether you fall on the left or you fall on the right, um, this brings a, a exponentially more attention to this issue than then i think what happened with the clippers and i think if you're chris paul you know i think you'd want to do over then throwing your jerseys in the middle of the court and playing and dan mind you clippers lost that series to golden state they weren't probably in the right mindset to play with everything going on so um i think it's important just you know to understand that this landscape as much as dan you and i i'm, I'm not you know the most political person in the world i kind of i played kind of down the middle but uh at this point uh in sports sports and politics are kind of intertwined we just We have politicians coming in. Uh, We have players making demonstrations. I think that's kind of this new normal of 2020.
0: Absolutely. It's a good way to to end this. I think this is going to be a recurring story. Uh, And, you know, whenever there's a a police shooting of a minority, I mean, it just seems to be happening with uh, fairly frequent occurrence, even during these times, shockingly. So uh, we haven't seen the last of these. And I think it's about time that sports... uh,
1: mirrors the
0: debate in society
1: i think this is a good segue uh dan you mentioned you know uh and i agree politics are part of this this conversation um and ready or not i mean that's just that's the world that we live in so um dan and i are recording this uh on tuesday and just before we started recording uh a tweet uh was sent to me by a couple people by president trump who mentioned uh that he had had a uh, what he called a productive conversation with big 10 commissioner kevin warren who's been uh we'll say the target of a lot of attacks of people that are calling for his job, that he maybe was the spearhead of a, a premature cancellation of Big Ten football, and and even those that are okay with him canceling it, they just want to understand the reasoning. So parents uh, and players that we're going to get into are just looking for answers, be it FOIA requests or be it lawsuits. And now Dan, because you, uh, and I'm going to give you the credit for this, you are a, in addition to being a fantastic lawyer, you are a fantastic investigative journalist, and Dan got his hands... Uh, on a, and a copy of a document that I don't think has has been uh, has made its way out yet, uh, but that is a copy of the Nebraska's opposition to these, well, big Ten. Uh, big Ten's uh, these the big Ten's opposition to the Nebraska players. Uh, we'll say emergency application for an injunction, emergency discovery. But Nebraska, yes, or Big Ten yesterday, filed their uh, their papers. Uh, and Dan through his uh, various channels and various uh, detective work, was able to get a hold of that. So Dan, uh, I'll, the floor is yours break us down on, on the latest development in this uh, Nebraska players lawsuit against the Big Ten.
0: Well, sure. I don't, I don't know if the investigative techniques that I used were all that uncommon. I, I simply emailed uh, Andy Luger, who's a defense counsel for the Big Ten, and he sent me a copy of the brief.
1: Why so, do you tell um, people what your tricks? Why do well, you just, you just <laughs> a magician? That's, that's gotta go with.
0: Because just when you think you have the answers, I change the questions. So that's one. Who said that? Do you know who's famous, who, whose line that is?
1: You can't handle the truth. No, I have no, no idea.
0: No, Rowdy Rowdy Piper on Piper's oh. Pit uh, going back to the I'm
1: 80s. Okay. Um, you yeah, know he, wrestling stuff.
0: He wasn't a lawyer, but the great late Rowdy Piper, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, uh, you know, came up with that expression. Just when you think you know the answers, I change the questions. Anyway, moving forward, uh, I think yesterday's court filing by the Big Ten exposed or highlighted the mootness uh, of, of this lawsuit brought by the Nebraska players. I've been fairly vocal on, on Twitter about what I think of the merits of this lawsuit. I think it's deficient because it's based on uh, legal claims that haven't ripened yet or that don't exist because player, co- collegiate athletes do not have contractual rights or third-party beneficiary status by virtue of the governing documents of an athletic conference. Uh, there's no direct contractual relationship, and courts have held that. So I was waiting for uh, the Big Ten's response, and the Big Ten, um, it, I, I think, highlighted the fact that the relief that the Nebraska players are seeking has already been satisfied. The main things that the that the Nebraska players wanted to know, and these this is from the words of their own lawyers, is that they want to know whether there was a vote the details of the vote, and whether the Big Ten followed its own rules in reaching its decision. The Big Ten came through in flying colors on all three counts. They provided the vote, the details of the vote, and the Big Ten bylaw provision, which shows that the that the power to determine any reduction in the number of games is vested exclusively within the Big Ten and requires only a 60% vote, which is the highest threshold uh, under the bylaws, but requires a 60% vote to carry forward. And here, there was an 11 to three vote in favor of cancellation, which is more than the requisite 60%. And this is backed up by all these medical details and 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 a doctor's report from, Uh, I think Ohio State uh, medical expert indicated that some of the preliminary testing that had been done indicated a very high rate of of heart-related issues with the collegiate players that did test positive. I think there was a 15% uh, of all positive tests. Uh, showed or revealed, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying the, the, the condition correctly, but a serious medical condition that could have long-term ramifications. So I think the uh, Big Ten did the prudent thing here, but more importantly, from a legal perspective, it, I, I think the Big Ten eradicated or answered all of the questions that were raised by the lawsuit.
1: So Dan, we really don't normally disagree, but I, I just want to push you on, on one Is an interesting point. So, um, we, Dan and I didn't get a copy of all. Um, we, we saw the brief, we saw the exhibits. Um, so just so people are, are kind of understanding what Nebraska, the players had laid out, they pointed out three uh, administrators with the schools. That's Joan Gabell, the president of Minnesota said mm-hmm. that, um, she, that a vote did not take place. Uh, Samuel's, uh, I think it's Stanley or Stanley at, at uh, Michigan state. He's the president. He said he did that a vote did not occur. And then the athletic director at, um, at Penn State, said it was unclear if a voter occurred. So those were their allegations. And in response, Nebraska, uh, you know, Nebraska players, you know, they, they they want to know exactly what happened. What the Big Ten said in response, they have a an affidavit, a sworn affidavit from Morton Shapiro. Um, I think it's it's a weird spelling of Shapiro, but I think that's how to that's how to say it. It was like Mark Shapiro, who's the uh, former, uh, he was with the Indians, but. Um, In any event, so he's, uh, Morton Shapiro is the chairman of the Big Ten. He's uh, He's the president of Northwestern. He swears under oath that a vote occurred. The vote was 11 to 3, and he swears that this vote occurred. Now, I've kind of pointed this out on Twitter, right? If you want to provide full transparency, I mean, you're not really under an obligation, at least as far as any legal, anything in the bylaws that we've seen, to provide who voted where, who were the 11, who were the three. I think some reports have trickled out. That the three, um, this is just from what I saw on Twitter, I don't believe these are uh, confirmed, but that it was Iowa, Ohio State, and Nebraska was the third. So to me, it doesn't, I'm not really, I mean, I still have some questions, right? How was Minnesota saying that a vote didn't occur? The president, right? And and to be clear, this is uh, the council that's voting is called the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors. So the presidents and chancellors are in theory in this room, right? How is the president of, of Minnesota? How does she not know if a vote occurred? Right? How does the president of Michigan State not know if a vote occurred? How is Penn State saying it's unclear if a vote occurred? And then on the other hand, and, and I understand that these are their filings, right? This is the, the Big Ten's lawyers putting this forward that they are, and under sworn oath, a vote occurred. It was crystal clear. When it was eleven to three. I still have some questions that I don't think are answered necessarily by these filings.
0: Yeah, but Dan, just like the Nebraska players, you and I don't have a right to intrude into the private. Uh, Decision making and affairs of, of, of what's a private business corporation. This is not a public company. This is a private. Uh, this is a private association. Who you know, which under the law has certain freedom from you know intrusiveness from outside parties. Uh, I understand that the coaches, the players, the parents, uh, maybe even some uh, university you know high level officials want to play football. But but the Big Ten is under no obligation. To provide you know transparency into its vote that 's why it's a private association and and certainly it 's done more than enough so far um, because you, you know this this is the whether or not a vote has occurred uh, I think that's been answered uh, and i haven't heard i haven't heard significant proof you know pushback or proof that no vote occurred you're having a this is a commissioner who's a lawyer. And and there are many and many people involved in these phone calls. Maybe if some of the university presidents are doubting it, maybe the maybe the people on the calls, or athletic directors, or lawyers, uh, it would be it would be nice to see affidavits in response disputing whether or not the vote is occurred. I know that the Big Ten has gone under oath uh, to the extent that there's any doubt uh, from any of the participant uh, you know members. Uh, then I'd like to see affidavits to the contrary. But in the absence of that. I think the Big Ten has carried its burden. And I wanna speak a little bit about this lawsuit. I think the way it's- Wait, before,
1: before we get there, I just, yeah. just, just quickly, because I wanna get into the actual lawsuit too, there is some stuff there. Um, and Dan just, and I, I penned this, Dan uh, had a great tweet yesterday, I took this from the motion. This is a discovery motion in search of a case that's uh, directly from the, the, the Big Ten's brief. But I, I just wanna, before we get off here, I mean, Dan, th- there is, as much as this is not, like there's a question, right? about the legal sufficiency of the case, which I do want to get into. But then there's this, you know, the quieting of the noise element. I saw this morning, you know, I saw this the Trump tweets that he met with Kevin Warren. And to me, right, maybe, Dan, you're under no affirmative obligation as a private institution to provide full transparency. But I don't think it sends the right message, right? If you have parents who are writing letters to the school, right, I, I've been tweeting at these different Illinois, you know, letters from different parents, um, different parents associated with schools. Um, and then you have players suing the school, right? And you are, and even, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. But your position is that you're not under an obligation to provide this discovery, right? But meanwhile, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the conference, is publicly, uh, and, you know, it's out there, that he's met with President Trump and had a 15 to 20-minute conversation. So you're providing the transparency to the president of the United States, but not to your own parents and players. I don't think that sends the right message for the Big Ten, and, and it's going oh. to invite me in lawyers like Tom Mars sending these FOIA requests to then 13 of the uh, 14 schools in the big 10 are public institutions and we'll have to answer that discovery. So I don't think it makes sense to fight it here, but allow it over here if that makes
0: sense. Well, I'll I'll agree with you on the transparency issue. While under no legal obligation uh, to provide details surrounding the vote, I think it would have been um, probably uh, a wise thing at least, or the practical thing, to so at least uh, if, you, if you're going to announce the cancellation of the season, say that a vote occurred, the vote was 11-3. I'm not going to tell you who voted what, but right. the vote say actually did occur. He's coming out a month later. And, 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 and I think I, I think Kevin Warren flunks the transparency course, F. Right. He, gets, he gets a grade of F because he could have nipped this controversy in the bud by providing the same details that, that, that he provided yesterday in a court filing, but providing them a week or two weeks ago, I think it would have nullified. No brainer. Uh, yeah, it would have been a no-brainer and would have nullified some of, these, some of these items. And I don't put much credence in a public records request or a FOIA request because those responses are within the exclusive control of the universities. They are under maybe a statutory obligation to provide responses within X number of days. But you know very well, and I, and, and I've been on both sides of public records requests, there are a number of statutorily recognized exemptions and the most common one would be uh, the exemption for trade secrets, the exemption for proprietary pr- pers- uh, business or confidential or financial information. And all of these records surrounding the Big Ten playing football or not playing football, I think you could group those into the category of being commercial information or sensitive commercial uh, and, and business information. so the first step or the first response of any of these public schools, and I know I've, I've dealt with public universities both representing them being aligned with them and being on the other side is that that response is going to come on the last day of the statutory deadline and it will say exempt from disclosure uh, uh, you know because it's you know proprietary commercial information and/ or trade secret. So all that does, is waste everybody's time for a month and i would and if you're going to if you're going to compare a public records request versus an actual lawsuit a lawsuit can accomplish so much more because you have immediate, you have the availability of judicial relief almost immediately whereas a public records request basically uh, places the university or the public agency in almost full control of the timing for the first 60 days
1: so that's a good segue here. Um, my inclination in this Nebraska suit, and as much as, you know, I'm, I'm all for player empowerment. I'm all for transparency, my, my inclination is that this Nebraska players lawsuit was designed as another, um, we'll say, to surround Big Ten from another angle, right? Tom Mars has his FOIA request to, I, I believe it's all, uh, at least all the public uh, universities, that's the exception of Northwestern, for this information. And Nebraska is asking for expedited discovery. So you're going to get on uh, that. And if you fail to abide by a discovery order, um, there are sanctions of contempt. Um, and a lot, you know, as, as Dan said, it's a, you have a, an actual framework of discovery. right? If you don't listen to the FOIA request, it just wastes more time when we're talking about a potential, um, maybe even a, a Thanksgiving start for oh, Big Ten football. That's that time frame doesn't really make sense. So, Dan, let me kick it back to you. Let's let's talk about the substantive merits of this lawsuit
0: well, I, I think this uh, this request for expedited discovery is a wolf in sheep's clothing. what it really is is uh, is tantamount to the equivalent of a, of a motion for a temporary restraining order or preliminary injunction. They're seeking immediate relief before so much as an answer has even been filed, and they're seeking before an answer has been filed to get discovery within like five days when uh, typically the normal time frame for responding to discovery is 30 days. And then, of course, that only happens after a substantive, usually after a substantive answer has been filed. So let's get into the reasons why Nebraska, why, why why the lawyers for the Nebraska players filed this as a discovery motion rather than a TRO. And I think I made the point on Twitter, they're claiming irreparable harm from not having this information. And obviously the first step or the, the logical first step would be to seek Ex parte relief in the form of a motion for a TRO. The reason I suspect that the players didn't pursue preliminary injunctive or TRO relief is that any decision, whether it denies the motion or grants the motion, is immediately appealable even before the case is over, meaning that the Big Ten uh, could, could appeal a TRO requiring release of this information and take it to the Nebraska Intermediate Appellate Court or maybe even the Nebraska Supreme Court. And the, 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 the just the mere existence of that automatic appellate remedy would moot the entire lawsuit because then as we're seeing in the Zion Williamson case, Williamson appealed the denial of personal jurisdiction as an interlocutory order and basically put the Florida case in his rearview mirror because of all the time delay if the Big Ten is able to successfully appeal a TRO grant, uh, this case is for all intents and purposes over because it, will, it would not be resolved on appeal until in all likelihood, the end of what exists of this college football season. So they went the route of a motion for expedited discovery, which I think is uh, might be tactical brilliance, but it really is insincere and disingenuous what they really should be seeking is emergency injunctive relief, and I don't think that they've met the standard here for expedited discovery because uh, they can't demonstrate a likelihood of success on the merits, which while that's one of the elements for a temporary restraining order, I think in order to address uh, pre-answer discovery, having a preliminary peek at the merits is essential, and the two substantive claims that the players have raised I believe are legally deficient. Their tortious interference claim is predicated on Nebraska's fair pay to play act, which has not even been implemented yet. Uh, so basing a tort interference claim on a, non, on a non-effective NIL law, I, I think is deficient in and of itself. And the breach of contract claim is based upon uh, alleged third party beneficiary status as a result of the Big Ten bylaws, the, the players are arguing that the general language and the governing documents between the conference and the member schools create contract rights in and to the players. And that theory has already been rejected, as I highlighted on Twitter and I think in, on our Instagram broadcast. there is a case directly on point called Hairston versus the Pac-10 conference where the Ninth Circuit... Uh, affirm the d- dismissal of a breach of contract claim brought by the players against the Pac-10 conference that was predicated on the Pac-10's bylaws being the contractual hook. And that's exactly the same theory that the Nebraska players are pursuing here. So not every, not every remedy follows a legal right. If the legal, if the legal causes of action are deficient, then you don't have any lawsuit. So in essence, or in truth, it really is a discovery motion in search of a case.
1: So, um, you know, not not that uh, I disagree with you. You know, I I largely agree with what you're saying, Dan. I just I think there's some, I'm going to say, kind of palpably unfair, right? And I'm going to kind of speak for a lot of our fans that not necessarily lawyers on Twitter, but are very vocal that they want they want answers about what's going on in the Big Ten. You know, if if Dan, you you are the Nebraska players right? And Kevin Warren, up, up until that point, right, um, had been, you know, there's been zero transparency, right? We didn't even have 11 to 3, right? And uh, even the schools, that's the schools that I'm saying, uh, Iowa, Ohio State, Nebraska, that's not in this brief. It doesn't say the exact schools that, that were uh, those those three. So if I'm a Nebraska player, before I want to file the TRO, I, I want some answers, right? I want I want some discovery. I want to see what happened. And even now, Dan, you know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't know if I actually believe this, but we got uh, a statement, obviously, Kevin Warren, um, you know, uh, and we got uh, it was um, Morton Shapiro, who's the chairman and he's president at Northwestern. That still doesn't answer my questions. It doesn't answer my question. Maybe maybe I'm not entitled to them, but if I'm going to have a lawsuit, and I know you and I spoke about this in a previous podcast, in order to disrupt the, uh, we'll say, the, the rules and bylaws of a private institution, you need some evidence of egregious conduct. But how am I going to get the evidence of egregious conduct? if you guys are keeping all of your mouth shut, right, if, if you're doing a unified front, no one's saying anything, how am I supposed to see if there's egregious conduct? So I think that's yeah. it's a smart decision to move for emergency discovery because they need to get some answers and they need to get it fast because football is right around the corner. We had our first college football games, um, you know, this past week. So I think it was almost a necessity. I understand 100% why they went that route.
0: Yeah, but the law is very well settled in this area. I know, you know, you and I may want answers, Players want answers, and I'm I'm ordinarily ninety nine point nine percent of the time sympathetic to players' rights. I tend to, uh, you know, lean heavily on the side of player rights versus the you know leagues, teams, the institutions, and my record is redoubtable on that. But in this case, uh, the law is a fairly significant barrier, and, and the courts have historically. Um, deferred to the decision-making of private associations and have been loath to interfere with that decision-making, barring unless certain exceptions have been met. And one of the exceptions, and in fact, the exception that was raised by the players in their lawsuit is that the Big Ten failed to follow its own rules. And but what we
1: learned- There might be some evidence of that, Dan, because again, uh, they didn't correct. This is just the lawyer, journalistic, whatever- there are three individuals, with, like we talked about, Joan, Joan G- uh, Cabell, Minnesota, Michigan State, Penn State, who are sending pretty clear signals that they don't believe a vote actually occurred. So now you just have an issue of credibility, but I think there is some evidence that, that a vote – if they're saying a vote didn't occur, a president who should be in that room, two presidents – I mean, that's, that's at least some evidence that they didn't well, follow their fellows.
0: Well, unless they're filing affidavits in support of the Nebraska's uh, Nebraska players' lawsuit, statements made like that in the press are of, actu- are of absolutely no import uh, in the context of this motion or in the context of this lawsuit. I think the Big Ten or the commissioner of the, of the Big Ten has discretion to determine uh, whether a vote has taken place whether the rules have been followed. And I think what what they've put out there in their their formal legal response is one vote has occurred. This was the vote. Uh, Here's who voted for, who's who voted against. Anything beyond that such as uh, you know, getting at the medical evidence and and, and all the other underpinnings of the dis- decision, I think is beyond the purview of, of what's allowed, beyond the purview of the lawsuit, and I think intrudes upon the pri- the private uh, it, it intrudes upon the business of a private association. I, I think they I think their um, allegations have been answered in large part with the production of this vote. And could this lawsuit have been um, uh, negated? if Kevin Warren had been more transparent early on? I think so, and I think it's a major failing on on his part, but I just don't think that anybody can can just demand these these items and information from a private association. There may be political reasons and relationship reasons with with colleges, with fans, with parents, with students. There may be an, an abundant number of good reasons to provide transparency. But legally, I think the Big Ten has already met its obligation.
1: So that's where, Dan, you and I see eye to eye. I don't, if you're going to provide this 11 to 3 vote, right, and you're going to meet with the president um, just two, three weeks ago, right, you weren't providing any transparency. So I don't understand that unless something changed. Now, Dan, you know, I I want to note, um, in these exhibits, we were given a, a fully, basically an almost entirely redacted version of the bylaws, other than Article 5 of the Big Ten bylaws called the Board of Directors. So one that, that is uh, applicable here is Section 5.2. It's called Conditions for Actions to Take Effect and Assignment of Responsibilities. All actions relating to the following matters of the corporation, corporation meaning the Big Ten, are reserved to and may take effect only upon the vote of not less than 60% of the entire board of directors. So there's four different um, versions. The one uh, that I believe is the one that, that's referenced here, it's number three. Uh, subsection D says uh, again, a vote of 60% of the members has to uh, occur in order to, and this is subsection three, reduce the number of sporting events in a member's schedule. So um, essentially, you're reducing the amount of games to zero for everyone across the board. So, Dana, again, um, you know, we're the play, I'm wearing the plaintiff check. I'll
0: play devil's advocate. The word, the key word there is reduction. I didn't see the word elimination or cancellation.
1: Well, reduction to zero is. Yeah, yeah,
0: obviously. But if you're going to cancel the season, it's not a reduction. It's a cancellation of the entirety of the season. And I think I think if I'm playing devil's advocate, I would say, well, you can, as Big Ten, you could decide whether you want to play eight conference games or nine, depending upon TV rights and, and, and availability of other schools. I think those words um, could be construed to mean uh, variation in the number but not the outright cancellation.
1: And well, I would that, say a variation from like eleven to zero would still be, you know, still be reduction. Yeah. yeah this yes. Is, right.
0: But so, the, this um, is not just semantics. I, I mean, it's not just no, semantics. Any they could instead of the word reduction, they could have been used any alteration in the number of games played. No reduction, I think, implies. Uh, a, dim, a diminution of the number of games, but not a cancellation. But I think I think I think the uh, I, I think the language is broad enough to cover cancellation. I'm just pointing out that that there could be two reasonable interpretations of that word, uh, for which maybe extrinsic
1: evidence should be considered. So the, what I don't, and I'll agree with you there, Tim. But I, I think what there is, there can't be two interpretations. This the section I read first. There has to be a vote. Uh, of not less than 60%. So for purposes of the Big Ten, in order to accomplish whatever Dan and I are arguing about, the semantics reduction, elimination, uh, for the Big Ten's purposes, that has to be nine of 14 members have to vote, vote for, for some type of change. So the, the reports, if you're just going to, you know, obviously I read, I read everything on Twitter, verified, unverified, I try to get a full picture. Mm-hmm. The reports coming out were that there, was, there wasn't was really a consensus on anything. Kevin Warren just said, we're going to go this way, and, you know, everyone, I want to have this unified front. So the fact that now an 11 to 3 vote's coming out, again, you know, as a plaintiff in a lawsuit, um, there is a motion in, in uh, federal rules, obviously one state rules, failure to state a cause of action. But on day one, right, you're not expected to have all the information. That's why you have discovery. That's why you're allowed to have some form of depositions. Um, I, I would say there's a very reasonable version that occurred that, uh, you know, maybe there was a somewhat of a consensus, maybe a vocal, uh, one or two people that were vocal. Maybe it was even Northwestern and Kevin Warren that said we should cancel. And raise your hand if you really feel diametrically opposed to that. And then Ohio State raises their hand, Iowa raises their hand, Nebraska raises their hand in that version of events, which I think is plausible. I don't mean, i again, we're just, where well, everyone's all speculating at this point, but that's a vote of three people saying no. And the rest either saying yes or being indifferent that scenario, which I do think is plausible would, would be an example of not following the big tens bylaws because that's not a vote of not, you know, that's not a vote of nine plus. That's a vote of three saying no and the rest being somewhere else. So I, I do think Dan, um, I do think that everyone would would have would would be happy if there's additional transparency again, maybe under no legal obligation to do yeah. so. But as much as these are private entities Dan, these are businesses and they're in the business of getting top recruits, top families. Yeah. And I don't think fighting the top families, <laughs> top families, Dan, you can't just be a good book. You got to have the right. The right um, but you, you get my drift. I don't I but don't grant Grant Hill. Definitely top family. You know, Shane, Shane Battier, top family. Yep. Yeah, listen, yeah. To great. Uh, he was on, on a Ringer podcast recently. But, um, you know, Dan, Shaq, I just... Shaq, great family. Great family. Um, and you know who's another one? Actually, you know, as a, as a brief aside, we had the passing of the great John Thompson this week. Maybe not, um, you know, the best, uh, you know, upbringing, a guy named, like, Allen Iverson. Um, but sometimes, Dan, sometimes it takes a, a guy like John Thompson, a great coach, to see through the noise and, and to take a risk on a guy like Iverson. So, um, I... I I think John Thompson is a great coach, great guy, but um, it takes a village,
0: I'm, as Hillary Clinton uh, once wrote.
1: Yeah, but I'm, I'm not. I wanted to make sure we give John Thompson a quick shot. in the podcast. <laughs> the point being, you know, you, you you will have a legal battle, and uh, you know, Dan, I have this PR background. I still I can't for the life of me understand the Big 12s public relations steps. You can't be transparent to the president of the United States, and not to your own players and parents. I think it sends the wrong message that if you're this powerful, I'll have a conversation with you. But otherwise, nah, go buzz off. Go file a lawsuit if you really want your answers.
0: Yeah. In the end, though, uh, a Nebraska state court is not going to compel the Big Ten conference to schedule collegiate football this year. So I think this lawsuit, uh, if it's not already been mooted, uh, will have a relative should have a relatively short shelf life. And I think we need to talk about the next steps. Now that the Big Ten has filed as, its responsive motion, I think we could expect the court either to order a reply brief from the Nebraska players' lawyers and or uh, it should make a decision. And that decision uh, could be either to require, University of Michigan to to require the Big Ten Conference to provide all these requested documents within the next five days or to deny that request. And if she denies the request, I think that's a signal that this lawsuit is very is going to be very short lived. If she grants that request, well, then what's the next step for the Big Ten? They're not going to have an immediate right of appeal, but what they might be able to do is file a motion for rehearing and or seek extraordinary writ relief in the Nebraska courts. There are circumstances in, in state courts all over the country where you may not have a you may not have an interlocutory appellate right, but you can file uh, an emergency writ. Uh, they call it in Florida, a petition for it certiorari, Uh most states have them, and I think you might see the Big Ten either pursue this extraordinary writ relief within the Texas within the Nebraska appellate court system or maybe maybe try the gambit of a removal to federal court, even though that probably would fail.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll keep an eye on it. I think it's the time frame is really tight with football, you know basically starting, so and we'll see what comes of it. but um let's put a, let's put a bow in that, Dan and I'll obviously keep tabs on that. Um, a in. Tabs, pin, semantics, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Um, Okay, that'll take us to our third and final segment of the day. Um, You know, we uh, alluded to it at the top, that's the Washington football team, uh, formerly a name that started with the R that uh, Dan and I will try not to say, but you know, we've said it for however many years. Um, So the initial story that Dan and I uh, were obviously covering this, um, when there were allegations of a toxic workplace sexual harassment, this was all based on a Washington Post story. In the week leading up to this original Washington Post story that I believe came out in July, if you wanted to go on Reddit and look at these different conspiracy theories, this was going to be a mega story that brought down Dan Snyder. And now when we got a hold of the story uh, that came out in July, it was a mega story, toxic you know, workplace sexual harassment claims, but Dan Snyder was not tied into this. It, there was no direct proof, no one willing to put their name, that Dan Snyder knew anything or was actively involved in anything. Following that initial story... Uh, Dan Snyder uh, you know maybe it was a smart PR move maybe it was not you know whatever it is he decided that he was going to on his own hire uh, his own lawyer Beth Wilkinson to perform an investigation into the team's culture and figure out what's going wrong organizationally if there's anything going wrong Um, not necessarily so uh, typical or presumed that a team that should be under investigation is allowed to hire their own lawyer but be that as it may Roger Goodell let it happen and uh, Beth Wilkinson, whose salary was by all indications being paid by Dan Snyder and Washington football team, was going to get to make the final call as to her recommendations on um, any type of punishment, which Dan and I already addressed doesn't necessarily make that much sense, but be that as it may. The update this past week is the one that we wanted to get into and then the change of circumstances that um, Goodell has agreed to and Snyder has agreed to. Um, a new story from the Washington Post. Again, I, I do believe that this was probably supposed to have come all together, but we got it about a month later. Uh, is that uh, Larry Michael is a, was in the broadcasting department uh, at the with the Washington team at the time? That there, I guess, was a, a cheerleader shoot done, uh, you know, in bikinis at, at you know some type of beach location, um, and there was a behind-the-scenes footage of, we'll say, wardrobe malfunctions. Um, but that was an inappropriate video that was shot secretly, um, and again, the allegation from a former employee is that Larry Michael directed that this secret nude wardrobe malfunction video be provided personally to Dan Snyder. Um, And that's a very different allegation among a series of new allegations that directly ties Dan Snyder to this toxic culture, to these claims of sexual harassment. Um, Now, Dan, uh, there's been some developments in this. So let me let me turn it to you. Uh, What's gone on as of late uh, and what's your uh, your legal insights into these uh, new changes?
0: Yeah, well, there was criticism lodged early on that the uh, law firm that Dan Snyder retained to conduct the investigation of the culture surrounding the Washington football team was not truly an independent investigation because the law firm uh, Beth Wilkinson was retained by Dan Snyder, uh, selected by Dan Snyder, paid by Dan Snyder, and obviously reports to Dan Snyder. So. Um, those conditions create the stigma or perception that this is really not a neutral or an independent investigation. So what happened uh, over the last week or two, this has been, there's been a significant amount of pressure brought on the NFL to take over the investigation and conduct its own investigation. Uh, I think the lawyers for some of the civil plaintiffs uh, wrote a letter uh, to Roger Goodell a few days ago in which they demanded – an independent investigation, and also the suspension—immediate uh, suspension of Red of Washington Football Team owner Dan Snyder. So, what the NFL uh, has announced within the last couple of days is that it will be taking over, or be, be, will be the reporting person for the for the investigation. So, uh, Beth Wilkinson, instead of reporting to Dan Snyder. Now will report to Roger Goodell. So this is this is a law firm that was selected by the Washington team, will be paid by the Washington team. The Washington team is the client, but the person to whom she reports is the non-client, the National Football League. And the question that comes to mind immediately as a lawyer is, what does this do to the attorney client privilege when you have uh, armies? Of plaintiffs, lawyers out there who filed lawsuits against the team and could file lawsuits against the team in the future. There are dozens of these alleged incidents. and could this could this uh, you know sort of bipart- uh, uh, try tripartite uh, system where you have one group pays, selects, retains, and then the uh, person overseeing it is uh, not the client, but somebody else. Will that result in the waiver of the attorney-client privilege? And there's a there's a concept in the law known as the joint defense privilege, the joint investigative privilege. What 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 uh, uh, what, what uh, companies or entities that have an alignment of interest often allege here or assert is something known as the common interest doctrine, where with respect to legally privileged documents for one party, to the extent that the other party participates in in the investigation and they share an alignment, and, and here are the key words, an alignment of legal interests, then the documents will be privileged from disclosure and aren't deemed waived simply because they're shared with the non-client. But I don't think that there's an align- That there, I, I think there are related interests, but this is about uh, issues of sexual har- harassment and toxic culture that exist within an NFL team's structure and that do not inure to the detriment Maybe from a public relations standpoint, but aren't the legal obligations or legal liabilities of the Washington Redskins, of the, I'm sorry, of the National Football League. So I'm very skeptical that a credible case can be made that the common interest doctrine applies here. And as a result, I think you may see uh, uh, plaintiffs demanding these investigative materials and in discovery and being able to overcome objections. So looking at it you know, from a 330,000-foot you know, you know, view, I think the NFL – made a a misstep here in not convening its own separate investigation, maybe terminating the Redskin investigation and and hiring its own lawyers and convening its own investigation without being encumbered by the uh, collateralization or crossover with what the Washington football team is doing. And this investigation hasn't been going on that long. It's not like we're a year down the road. It's only been a few weeks and is the risk of the perception of non-independence and the possible forfeiture of the attorney-client privilege worth conducting it this way?
1: Bingo, Dan, bingo. I mean, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, uh, we'll say actually, not the end of the day, let's go to the beginning of the day. If this was a truly independent investigation, you and I on a, on a previous podcast, we said that allowing Snyder to retain his own attorney didn't really send the right message and it wasn't gonna give you an independent investigation. The headline that's coming out, you know, um, the new headline, NFL takes over Washington investigation. They didn't really take over the Washington investigation. Taking it over would be to fire Beth Wilkinson um, and to start a new investigation. Because, Dan, to your point, it's not like this has been going on for a year. It's not the Ted Wells investigation that you would have to disrupt, right, or the Mitchell report where it was going on for months, if not years. This is a brand new investigation that occurred, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So you don't really lose anything by starting anew, right? It's not like the NFL is penny-pinching, right, that they can't afford their own attorney. I'm not sure if this would have been the NFL's first choice for an attorney, right? Would they have necessarily hired Beth Wilkinson? So if you're really going to have an invest in uh, you know independent investigation, you start everything anew. You start everything fresh. So I'm not sure who's paying Beth Wilkinson's uh, bills still, if it's Dan Snyder. But the issue that you and I have had this whole time – is if Beth Wilkinson was hired by Dan Snyder and she's in the business of conducting these investigations, she generates more business to the extent that she is, you know, a desirable, um, we'll say attorney for these purposes, it would again behoove her to have an adverse finding against the Redskins. I'm not sure who else is going to use her. Um, so I don't know. I, I just, I, I think the whole thing is really messy. The headline yeah. of this is NFL takes over Washington investigation, but they haven't really done anything. All they've done is saying they're going to oversee it. And I just have a, a quick quote from the post article Quote, the NFL was getting information every couple of days, a few times a week now. Now they are talking to the investigators every day. Whatever information they were getting, they decided to take a more active role. And I have one more quote from you from from the NFL. Uh, Snyder hired Beth Wilkinson of the District of Columbia law firm Wilkinson & Walsh to review the organization's culture, policies, and allegations of workplace misconduct. However, um, after these new reports, you know, they will now report to Goodell and the NFL. So reporting to the NFL and Goodell... Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's kind of like superseding Dan Snyder. It just maybe means they're reporting to um, now they're reporting to Snyder and Goodell. It could be as simple as, you know, there's an extra CC on these emails as to what is going on. So I, as, as much as I'd like for there to be a pure independent investigation, I still don't think we have it.
0: Well, let's not kid ourselves. We'll never get an independent investigation uh, when the NFL is involved. If we go back to some of the prior investigators, you know, Ted Wells with Deflategate, Ted Wells with Bountygate, Uh, whoever the NFL would choose to hire would still never be independent or neutral because it would be a law firm that has a uh, quote-unquote business relationship with the National Football League and wouldn't be expected uh, to deliver a report that would um, create um, significant fallout for the NFL. So, um, uh, mo- most of these internal investigations are designed to find, uh, you know, fall guys and accountability somewhere and corrective measures or corrective steps to be taken, but they're never truly independent. And, um, a, a, a significant corner of new England, uh, still is resentful over the findings, uh, or takes issue with the findings of the Ted Wells, um, investigative report on deflate gate. So starting anew with a new law firm, whether it be Ted Wells or somebody else, will not will not correct the perception or change the perception of it being a non-independent investigation because it will never be independent. However, it is an improvement over using Dan Snyder's law firm with the loan deviation that there's a, an additional person to report to, uh, unless there's been a new retainer agreement and a new um, attorney-client relationship created, Uh, we're heading down the path of a vitiation of the attorney-client privilege. And and for all the fans out there and people who are following this story, they could care less about the attorney-client privilege. But if you're advising the National Football League, if you're general counsel, chief of legal affairs for the NFL, and your general counsel, of the Washington football team, those issues are very important because I think that the that the team and the league would love to control the narrative and put out whatever whitewashed, sanitized version of the report that they choose to share publicly. The moment you create this dynamic where you share the investigative materials with non-clients, it enhances or increases the risk that this information and the entirety of the report will see the light of day, whether in a lawsuit, or some kind of, you know, other uh, other, other fashion. It, it really is a, uh, a a treachery road for both the team and the league, and retaining new counsel limits some of that downside risk, even if it does not altogether eliminate the stigma or perception that whatever investigation is conducted won't be independent or neutral.
1: So, uh, you know, and I know we should probably touch this quick, um, but people are looking at this incident as being the driving force behind potentially getting an ownership change in Washington. I still think that remains doubtful at this point, even though we're, we're trending in that direction, it's still mm. it's still a, a huge barrier. So, you know, I mean, think trending
0: not- trend trending with a bullet,
1: trending with the bullet. But, you know, they've got yeah, uh, Snyder's got like a bulletproof vest on and he's, he's got like mm. he's fully geared up. But, you know, ever just, hear the
0: ever hear the expression death by a thousand cuts. He's getting it from all different angles., uh, this isn't one or two anecdotes. It is a, um, a, 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 a sorted history surrounding this organization, and it may need to, to have an absolute. You know, cleansing and 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 detoxification and fumigation, and there are a lot of powerful forces here at play: the National Football League, the Me Too movement, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and more importantly, very powerful minority partners. And 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 Dan Snyder has been you trying to invoke the litigation process uh, to go after some of his perceived you know enemies, and I don't think this is going to end well for Dan Snyder. I I think ultimately. This will lead to a sale of the franchise.
1: So I just, um, you know, but I want to make sure I, I you know, what the Donald Sterling downfall was. TMZ, it wasn't some you know, in, internal uh, NBA report. Um, you know, Jerry Richardson with the Panthers. I think it was a Sports Illustrated report. So if you're looking for something that's going to be that watershed moment, it's not going to be this report. It's going to be Washington well, Post continuing to hit this issue. So. I will well, look uh,
0: for- one second, I think that you, you highlighted a really key distinction besides the TMZ and the recorded nature of it. You had personal involvement by the team owner, Donald Sterling. This was not just simply uh, harassment and sexual allegations have, within Eugene. the organ. Well, that, that's, that's why I'm, I'm right. trying to draw a comparison to Dan Snyder. There are some allegations of direct involvement, I don't know how strong they are. Um, you know, but I think this might go beyond lack of institutional control. There, there are allegations that point to you know his conduct. I don't know how strong they are, but to the extent that the more direct his involvement and knowledge are, the greater the risk is that he's going to be forced to sell the team if these allegations uh, are, are proven to be true.
1: So, again, uh, I like to, you know, we'd like to give you guys a full story. You can make your own determinations on this. In the past couple weeks, you know, the other story we didn't address that's happened since these two allegations, Darius Geist, the Washington Redskins, you know, former first-round pick, big big guy at LSU, uh, he's arrested on rape charges. He's released. So it's just story after story uh, with the Redskins. So um, I I do think the Redskins are trying to listen. Uh, Again, we'd be remiss. Dan Snyder I saw Schefter's tweet last night. Schefter's saying that it was Snyder's uh, – Snyder's claim that it, it was his own idea to turn the investigation over to the NFL. I don't believe that. Um, you know, a couple weeks back at this point, Jason uh, Wright, a former NFL player, was became the first uh, black president of the Washington, uh, the Washington football team, but also the first black team president in NFL history. So, you know, they're, they're trying to hit this PR game. And the one that I saw today, the late, great Sean Taylor, the great safety, they've just decided to name a road after him uh, that leads into FedEx Field. So – they're really, you know, I, I, I sense something going on from Washington. It's not every day that the NFL intervenes, whatever you want to call it, intervenes in your own investigation. So they're feeling some internal pressure. Um, and, again, it's a super high burden to, you know, push anyone to sell their team or to ban someone from the team like we saw with Sterling. But there's something going on at this Washington football team HQ that is not normal. Sean Taylor, you know, uh, late great Sean Taylor, this was not something that happened to him last year. I think this was like 10-plus years ago. And 13 only now, years ago.
0: Yeah, I Only mean, the learning,
1: I, I, the, right.
0: the learning curve here is incredible. Dan Snyder has owned the Washington football team, the Redskins, and now the Washington football team for nearly a quarter of a century. Right, uh, what, what,
1: changed, what changed to, to now make these type of decisions at the helm? Not, nothing, Well, right? re-
0: reacting to problems that have intensified rather than to have um, systems and structures in place to prevent problems like this from occurring, he's simply reacting. And and you know the thing with the name change and the nickname. I mean, he he was in a state of denial. And he said it was over his dead body. Would he ever change the name? Never. I think never so, was the quote. Right. Never. Never. Never was the quote. So um, the fact that they're becoming enlightened in the year twenty twenty after nearly a quarter of a century of of of, of past actions. Uh, I don't think sounds credible. What what really what really resonates is action rather than words. And yes, he's he's hired uh, a, a, an African American uh, person to be the president of the business operations. You know, CEO of the team. He's hired a, a new director of media relations, Julie Donaldson, who used to be the in arena announcer for the Miami heat, uh, before she went over to the MSG network and she has a a nice reputation, but a lot of this is cosmetic. And I think the track record, unfortunately may speak for itself. And the, uh, the tenure of Dan Snyder is really going to rise and fall on the outcome of this investigation. And if there were just one or two complainants, um, I think we could brush it off. But there is, uh, there are significant numbers of women who've made allegations like this about the workplace, and and going all the way
1: up to the executive suite. And more will come. Just historically, with these type of allegations, it takes a brave, select few, uh, and then more people start to feel comfortable. So, um, you know, if you're if you're rooting for the the downfall of Dan Snyder, I think the uh, we'll say that smoking gun. If this video, this alleged. You know, behind the scenes video ever surfaced. Um, that's that's pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, that's, I'll, give, that's
0: I'll give him credit, Dan. He's released every woman who's had an NDA. He's given them carte blanche to talk to investigators. Uh, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. I'll give him credit for voluntarily, whether we believe it or not, but for supporting the NFL's taking over the investigation. So, uh, you know, I know he's trying to do so many of the right things with the decision to change the name of the team, um, uh, to to try to do right here with the culture of the organization, but it may be a case of too little too late, depending upon these allegations and whether there is any truth behind them. And, you know, by the same token, while we're talking about the NFL taking over an, an investigation over incidents that may have occurred many years ago, Uh, There is still another NFL owner who made very recent statements that could be considered racist and sexist, and he's not yet under NFL investigation, even though there is credible evidence that Woody Johnson has conducted himself in a manner that should uh, call out for for an NFL investigation because of his racist comments and alleged sexist comments, which in some ways, and maybe many ways, are far worse than what Donald Sterling ever said, and the NFL has still not announced that it is investigating Woody Johnson, even though the State Department has issued a report from its investigator uh, that would seem to give credence to these allegations.
1: Well, I think uh, that'll put our, our third topic in the books, and uh, we're done with topic stands. So um, I think, Dan, you know, well, actually, as a side note, qualifier dan and i have no relationship uh or no affiliation to dan snyder so just because we have the same first <laughs> name does not mean anything uh so again um you know i want to wish the best to john thompson's family i i uh, was this guy's someone that uh, you know i was grew up watching on the sidelines of georgetown um you know and a, a guy who had a big role in the college basketball movement um but uh, that being said, Dan, I don't, I don't have anything else. If you want to put this one of the books, Dan,
0: I want, I want to cl- I want to end with John Thompson. I mean, he was a legendary figure, uh, not only in college basketball but twentieth century, uh, you know, sporting life. And I, I I'm old enough to remember the Great Big East uh, rivalry of the early to mid '80s with Louis Konseca, um, uh John Thompson, the T- Villanova, Saint John's, Georgetown. I was at the game where John Thompson unveiled the ugly sweater and basically broke character and revealed a sweater to sort of match the ugly brown and red sweater that Louis Carnaseca had worn throughout the season. And that was at a, a juncture in the 84-85 college basketball season where St. John's was ranked number one, Georgetown was ranked number two, and they, they faced each other at Madison Square Garden and, and they did a number. Georgetown did a number on Chris Mullen, but I'll never forget those games and that rivalry. And to me, that was the golden era of big East college basketball. There will never be another like it. And, uh, John Thompson, uh, just a legendary figure. And I think the tributes, uh, from all corners bear that out. And, and, and I, I was, I was definitely very fortunate to be around, uh, when the big East Georgetown and St. John's were, were just gigantic and they were at their best.
1: So, yeah, and, and uh, I, you know, have it in my pin tweet now. Um, the, the great Allen Iverson had a tribute to Thompson who basically said that Thompson took a chance on this kid who made a really big mistake in his life. Uh, Virginia, there's a great uh, 30 for 30, uh, no crossover for Iverson. Uh, and Thompson was the only coach in the country, football or basketball, that would take a chance on this. And Iverson, and Iverson became, you know, a, obviously a Hall of Famer. So um, I put that up. Uh, and uh, just as a lesson, as you never know who's going to come across your stuff on social media, Um, Baron Davis, a great uh, NBA player, gave that a retweet, which, um, you know, brought a lot of uh, eyeballs to it. So I appreciate that, Uh, Baron, who I do not know. I am not friends with Baron Davis, but if you're listening, if you're one of the many Conduct Detrimental listeners, much appreciated. Um, Dan, I think that'll put us in the books. Uh, Dan Wallach, uh, as always, has not changed his handle yet. He was at Wallach Legal on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Myself, Dan Lust, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, at Lust. the show, Conduct Detrimental, at Con. Detrimental. And with that being said, we will see you next week on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody.